I want to propose a moratorium on stories about young people buying houses. Okay. Sick of them. Absolutely sick of them. <laughs> Why is that? I know it's a radical step that I'm proposing, but it was prompted by a story in Staff, its home section, which was about a Christchurch couple buying their first house. And in the 20th paragraph or so of this story, of course, it reveals that this Christchurch couple had received substantial financial support and also free accommodation from their parents. And that's how they bought their house. And this is a kind of theme of these stories, is that correct? Exactly, exactly. It was. It used to be nearly always that it revealed in about the 20th paragraph that these couples <laughs> had substantial financial support from their parents. Now it's always, they always have this support. And it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit... <laughs> It feels like you're being sold a false bill of goods because these are meant to be inspiring stories about young people buying their first house. But of course, it's always just with the support of their older parents that already own a house. And no one's really disputing that you can buy a house with the help of your parents that already own a house. It's really the problem is with everyone else. The people that can't access that that parental support and this creation of a new landed gentry. When you look at how much easier, well, not easier, but definitely in comparison to today, it was to buy a house, for example, in the 1970s, income to cost. What were the ratios? Yeah. Something like... So in the 1970s, it's about two to one. Before 1990, it's about four to one. This is what we're talking about, the median household income to the cost of a house. So it's about four to one before 1990. Now it's roughly seven across the country, more than 10 in Auckland. Demographia, an organisation that measures house prices, rates markets severely unaffordable at five to one. I don't know what they rate, 10, probably thermonuclear, apocalyptic. I'm not 100% sure. And this is why I think even if all these stories were totally fine and they were actually stories of young people scraping together all their avocado stones and using them to build a house for themselves, (laughs) they would still be really offensive just in premise because the implication behind them is. They're meant to assuage the guilt of their readers. They're meant to be there to say, hey, look, it's not so bad. These young people, they're all complaining. They all just want their iPhones. They want their big screen TVs. You had to trudge to school 15 miles through the snow. They're just whinges. The facts don't bear that out. And the implication is of these stories is that it's actually okay out there and it's possible to do it. And that feels, maybe that's true for a very small proportion of people increasingly it's not true and it feels like for those people that it's not true for it's an insult it feels like an insult it feels like a slap in the face and actually what it's doing i'll stop this rant very soon it's actually what it's what these stories serve to do their purpose serves to obscure the truth about the housing market it's to disguise the actual facts of the, rea- the the matter that it is incredibly difficult out there and the whole point of journalism isn't isn't it to reflect reality rather than to obscure it? And that's why I'm proposing this moratorium. <laughs> Lee says, thank you, Hayden. I too am completely sick of the first house media coverage. Well, but you're, you're, there's a caveat there, only if your parents help you. Yeah, if your parents help you, I'm sure you'll be fine. That, that, that's the way that you can still get them. Hey, 
Isn't it kind of a bad sign for your housing market that it's actually a national news story that young people that a young person is buying a house? That doesn't that's not a sign that your housing market is completely rosy. But I would I have another enraged rant to go to straight from here, Karen. This isn't my only one. Excellent. The way you're going. The <laughs> so uh, yeah, just to change it up, another really angry rant. This is fro- a scene from this morning's episode of TV One's Breakfast. It is the 9th of December and here is what we are celebrating with you today, Aotearoa. Today is the day that Francis and Violet Eastwood celebrate their 30th wedding anniversary. I love it. Uh, This is their children's favourite photo of them. (laughs) Taken on their honeymoon way back in 1990. I bet your parents want to get that afro though. I love it. Your adoring children, Dan, Rachel and Edwin, say you're the most caring parents they could ask for. Now... You can't see it on the radio, but the picture that's actually showing in the background of that clip is of the serial killers Fred and Rosemary West. So, ha 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 ha, pranked TV One Breakfast. That image is, is, I hesitate to use the word iconic, it's so well known that image, so how it got through, I don't know. It is Karen, it is Karen, but possibly, like I recognise it, but I think possibly not for someone that's a little bit younger that might be working the morning shift on TV One's Breakfast, maybe. And look... How many documentaries have they had about them? Absolutely. Even younger people Absol- watch those, I'm don't not, they? I'm not 100% sure that all young people have actually would recognise the serial killers Fred and Rosemary West on site. And I just want to point out, with this prank, the very low degree of difficulty involved. You do have to sneak that one photo through. But they use fake names for the serial killers. They invented a fake family. And it's for just a segment where it's called, I think it's called Today's the Day, where they just kind of read out people's anniversaries or birthdays or significant occasions. And so it's a little bit of a soft target. I want to say that this was not a very skilled prank. What would you draw on as a comparable prank, internationally even? I've done a little bit of prank research. I just I just don't like this prank in particular, but there is a similar prank style that is uh, being carried out. The reporter for The Nation, Ken Klippenstein, he's a US reporter, he often gets Republican figures to tweet their appreciation and thanks and tributes to, I guess, horrific figures from the past or from popular culture. So famously, he got the racist Republican Senator Steve King to say he had the back of Colonel Nathan Jessup from A Few Good Men, uh, the You Can't Handle the Truth guy. Not a good man. He got he tweeted a photo of him with the tribute. Uh, recently, he got uh, the... Well, it was, a, it, was, it was a former acting director of national intelligence in the Trump administration, Richard Grenell, and he got him to thank the convicted war criminal, Bill Kelly, by pretending he was his granddad and he was serving in the military, saying, please thank my granddad. So this is a little bit of a comparable uh, prank style that's going on there, but I think it's a little bit better. Yes, yeah, so don't really compare to the TVNZ effort from this morning? No, no, I, I wouldn't say. I would say it's better in several ways. Look. First, just a cosmetic thing. He's a high degree of difficulty here. He's using their real names, and he is uh, using their pictures as well. So it's just a high degree of difficulty. But also, he's pranking people for a purpose. These are, a, I mean, it's not a very noble purpose, but he's these are people that are in positions of power, and they use this language like, I respect the troops, I support the troops. And then he shows just how shallow their knowledge of these troops they purport to uh, love 
is, and also just how easily some of these powerful people are to uh, can be taken in. So I think there's a, that serves a little bit more of a purpose. I think the prank that this one actually resembles and tonally, at least spiritually, more than any other, is when J.J. Feeney and Dom Harvey of, uh, I can't even remember what radio station they're at then, but they prank poor Simon Barnett of More FM by setting up a fake interview with Tom Cruise, which was actually with a Tom Cruise impersonator. When si- you, People might remember this. When Simon Barnett found out it was fake, he said, this is super uncool, guys. He was just very glum, and his producer bur- burst out into guttural sobs. So, I mean, this is pretty similar in that it felt pretty dark and pointless, and nobody, nobody felt good afterwards. No, that's true. Dark and pointless, and nobody felt good in the end. And particularly not uh, the families of those victims. Yeah, these are horrific. These are crimes. horrific crimes. Are just disgusting, and I don't know. To use it as kind of a, oh, I just don't. I, I didn't like it. I didn't see the point. Has there ever been a really good TV prank in New Zealand? I think when I think of a good one, I think of one that actually happened on Breakfast ten years ago. So Guy Williams in two thousand and ten went on the Paul Henry fronted Breakfast, and he pretended to be a pro whaling campaigner. And so this is a clip of that. How how many whales should be taken? Do you think? Um, well, that depends. I'm, I'm a libertarian. I believe that the free market should decide. So just out there, anyone wants to go out whaling can go out whaling. The price of whale meat will decide. Right now, too many whales are being killed relative to the demand for whale meat. Didn't see that, but he managed to get into the studio. That was Guy Williams. He wasn't as recognisable then. He made, he made it into the studio posing as a pro-whaling activist. Look, uh, Again, he fronted up himself. He took a risk. It was a much more high degree of difficulty prank. Uh, but also, he did expose... This was for a news segment. So he exposed sort of genuine... I mean, the, the one today exposes genuine problems with some of the producers in the vetting. It's for a lighthearted segment. They probably weren't expecting people to put forward serial killers. It's a little bit of a blip in the uh, the, the, the armour, but it's not a huge one. This one, at least Guy Williams, he exposed... <laughs> Pretty serious uh, uh, in the armour of uh, the the producing vetting that was going on at breakfast then, and he probably did tighten up their processes a little bit uh, then. And, I mean, it was also a bit of fun. Why does uh, breakfast get... So dark. Breakfast shows get targeted. I don't know. I think maybe because they have to fill three hours of content and it's an absolute desperate situation every day (laughs) and they actually just have to get someone. And I think that with Guy Williams, he was exposing just how desperate they are for contrarian uh, takes and people there will will, will produce a little bit of outrage. I feel a bit bad for breakfast because it's actually a bit of a, in my opinion, a bit of a New Zealand media success story. It has this diverse cast it does stories that really matter it does stories on you know social justice issues and it actually does journalism for three hours every morning and it has great guests so i feel a bit bad that it's breakfast that got targeted this way and this is not an enraged rant more of a comment on how suicide is is sponsored yeah the topic uh, of it is discussed in the media and so I, there was a great article this week, uh, maybe actually late last week, in The Baffler by the New Zealand journalist Jess McKellen. And she talked about media coverage of suicide. And it's going to be really difficult for me to summarise in this very short amount of time that we have. But the basic point is that when we cover suicide, we, as journalists, often 
gravitate to the idea that actually what we need to do is just break the silence and we need to talk about it and that will be the solution to getting suicide statistics down. And her article really goes into how maybe that's a bit of a misnomer that is not actually... Actually, that helpful, and it, t- and it and it just looks at the evidence, right? Because this is not—it's hard to establish a causal link, but studies do show that irresponsible reporting can potentially coincide with upticks in suicide. And studies have shown that increases in the suicide rate often coincide with times where there are frequent media articles on suicide, along with sensational headlines and particularly images of the deceased. The really major point in it is that actually maybe media discussion needs to be a bit more nuanced around suicide and that I talked to Jess and she mentioned like a headline like heartbreaking this beautiful teen killed herself after bad exam result for instance is a really unhelpful headline but a story talking about the pressures of exams which could mention suicide but also mentions other potential risk factors like depression bullying or abuse might be more impactful and also Maybe actually the best reporting on suicide that the media can do is often not even about suicide itself, but about the factors that contribute to it. Abuse, poverty, inequality, those things. But also just stuff like campaigning against the long wait times that face uh, people looking for specialist mental health care.